All right, so we are looking at Genesis chapter 38, verses 1 to 30. Let's give our attention to God's word. It says, It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite, whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite, whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Kazib when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Go, uh, go into your brother's wife, and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her, and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, so whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house, Till Shelah, my son, grows up, for he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers, he and his friend Hira, the Adulamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, She took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance to Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, what will you give me that you may come into me? He answered, I will, send, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, what pledge shall I give you? She replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adulamite to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who is at Eniam at the roadside? And they said, no cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also, the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own or we shall be laughed at. You see... You see, I sent this young goat, and you did not find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah. 
and he did not know her again. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. And she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. The Bible says that all, all men are like grass and that all mankind's glory is like the flower of the field. And the grass withers and flowers fade away, but God's word stands forever. So let me pray for us uh, before we talk more about it. Father, we do uh, thank you for your word tonight. Uh, even this story that is very, it's just a tough story. It's strange and it's dark and it's hard to know what to do with it. But Father, this is, this is your word. This is you speaking to us. So would you help us? And would you have us to hear you in it? And Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, do y'all, uh, this is a, sort of a dangerous illustration. Do y'all know who MacGyver is? Is that known? Okay, all right, good. All right, sweet. All right, so uh, we're talking about Angus MacGyver, who was the main character of the hit TV show, at least primarily, uh, a show that ran from 1985 to 1992. They did a remake of it, which I don't, you know, a whole lot of people don't really care much about that. But So the original MacGyver, maybe you do, that's okay. It's all right if you do. Uh, the original MacGyver was played by Richard Dean Anderson. And if you're not familiar, the basic idea of every MacGyver episode is that he would be in some sort of ridiculous situation and where the only way out, you know, there, there's basically no way out, and he has to engineer some solution with just the random items that he has on hand. So basically, with the, the, the worst resources possible, he's always able to make something amazing and save the day. Uh, I, a few of my favorite examples, uh, one time he took a muffler, a gear shift knob, some seat cushion stuffing, a cigarette and a cigarette lighter, and he made, of course, a bazooka. Uh, one time he took sunglasses, nail polish remover, and a lamp, and made a spectroscope, whatever that is, but sounds hard. Uh, the, uh, the last one I got, he took a soccer ball, some kerosene, a newspaper, and some cotton, and made a hot air balloon. Yeah, whatever. And people, like, people loved it. So much so that MacGyver is, is an actual English word now. Like in the dictionary, it is a, an official word to MacGyver something. Now look, that might, this might sound really strange at first. But I want to pitch to you, that's, that's a little bit, a little bit of what we see going on in this passage. What we see is that God takes the absolute worst materials... And he makes something really beautiful out of it. 
He takes people, particularly Judah and his family, and he does something amazing. Uh, This semester, we're studying through the second half of Genesis, and our theme is bless this mess, because what we see every week is that God is working to save the world, and he's doing it through this one family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and they are an absolute mess. But he shows grace time and time again to these uh, family that's such a mess. And look, this story, this story might be the, the epitome, right? The, what you would put on the poster of, uh, of the, this part of Genesis in regard to the family being a total mess. Uh, because if you remember... Last week, we started, we sort of switched gears and we started talking about Joseph. And so the the story of Joseph begins in 37 and then all of a sudden in 38, you get this weird, just like, oh, by the way. So, you know, back with uh, the rest of the family. And then we get this story about Judah. And it seems like at least a big part of why this is just sort of seemingly stuck in here is to... One thing is to show the contrast of what we're going to see next week. But it's also to show us just how awful Judah and and his family really is. But so that we see how amazing God's salvation is. All right, so we're going to look at three things tonight. We're going to see first Judah and, and his family, but Judah's sin. Secondly, we're going to look at, we're going to see Judah's turning point which is uh, sort of subtitled God's Grace Part 1. And then thirdly, we're going to look at Judah's uh, future or his legacy, which is God's Grace Part 2. All right, so first, Judah's sin. And look, you know, where do you start? Well, we may as well start at the beginning, but man, there's a lot there, right? I mean, we just read it. Verse one and, uh, verse 1 and 2 tells us that Judah married a Canaanite woman. And now that may not sound like a big deal, but it actually is. Marrying a Canaanite is, that was no good. Uh, Abraham told his son Isaac, do not marry a Canaanite. Go back home and find, you know, one of our people. Um, uh, The same with Jacob. Uh, Esau, Jacob's son, uh, no, Jacob's brother, Isaac's son, uh, actually did marry a Canaanite, married two Canaanites, matter of fact, and it does not go well. And then later, uh, Isaac tells Jacob not to marry a Canaanite. And then later in uh, uh, Israel's history, in what we would read in Deuteronomy 7, God commands his people not to marry Canaanites. And the whole reason is because they worship other gods. And he says, look, this is a bad idea. You cannot marry someone that worships another god because they will pull you away from me. And that seems to already be at work here in the beginning of, of, uh, or now the end of Genesis. So Judah, he goes off and he marries a Canaanite. He's already off to a bad start. He's not worried. It seems like he's not worried about his soul. Uh, Even the description of Judah going, of how he went about it, seems to indicate that it's just wrong. Uh, It would be pretty evident, I think, to a Hebrew reader, which I'm not, but I read people that were. And uh, notice in verse two, it says that he saw and then he took seems to be sort of uh, wanting us to point back to to Genesis, right? Genesis, what, three, when Eve 
uh, Adam and Eve, she saw the fruit and she took it. The idea being um, this sort of like lustful, uh, I see something that I want, I take it. Not really worried about what God says. I see it, I want it, I get it. So Judah gets married to this Canaanite and he has three sons. He has a Ur or Er, I don't know, go back and forth. Uh, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. And so for the firstborn, uh, Ur, he finds a wife, and her name is uh, Tamar, and I might say Tamar, but, you know, whatever. Uh, Ur is so wicked, now we don't know the details, but he's so wicked that it says the Lord put him to death. So now you've got to understand the customs of of this day. So if someone, uh, if, if a wife... If her husband dies before they have kids, and maybe particularly before they have boys, then it was the duty of one of the deceased uh, groom's brothers to provide kids for her. And the idea is to, um, to uh, continue his line and to provide and protect the wife, the, the widow. Right. There's no there's no retirement plan. Right. That that is the retirement plan to have children that are going to grow up and work and provide and take care of you. So this is a it's a good thing. It's a kindness. And so uh, Ur is uh, stricken by God. And so. um, uh, Oh, shoot. Where are we? Uh, That leaves uh, totally lost. That leaves Tamar with uh, no kids. And so Judah says, all right, Onan, you need to do this for your brother and for, uh, for Tamar. And so now, granted, this is Onan's sin. This is on him. It's not on Judah, but I think it's worth talking about just to see how awful Judah's sons are. So Onan doesn't do what he's supposed to do, right? Now, he's supposed to try and get her pregnant. But instead, the text, you know, very graphically says that he would waste the the semen on the ground. Now, why would he do that? Now, the text kind of tells us, right? It says uh, that um, because he knew the offspring wouldn't be his. All right, so fair enough, but what's the deal with that? Well, if he provides her offspring... He knows that, all right, so they're technically going to be his brothers who's older than him, which really means his inheritance is going to be diluted that much more. So he's not really keen on diluting his own inheritance. That's probably what's going, almost certainly what's going on. And I think there's another reason which seems to be at work. Um, did you notice? I had never noticed this. Look at verse 9. It says, So whenever he went into his brother's wife, which indicates what? This happened multiple times. This wasn't a one-time thing. This was multiple times. And so look, as gross as it is to, to think about this, it seems like this guy repeatedly took advantage of his own sister-in-law for his own sexual gratification. So it's like not only, you know, like he doesn't want to have kids so that his you know, inheritance gets diluted, so he's, basically, it's kind of like, well, look, I don't want that, but like, I mean, I, I don't mind that. And so it's like, uh, oh, oops, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, but I mean, I'm, I'm happy to try again and again and again. 
You see how awful that is. It's gross. And God put him to death because he was wicked. All right, so now uh, let's get back to Judah. So look at verse 11. Judah tells Tamar. So now we're down to the third son. And he says, look, don't worry. Uh, Shelah, he's, he's, a, you know, he's, little, he's, young, he's the youngest brother. He's a little young. When he, give him a few years when he's of marrying age, I'll give him to you. So just go back to your dad's house, hang out, no problem. But you, we can see in the text that he has no intention of doing that. And why is that? Um, well, because he thinks that she's the problem. Right? Because he says uh, he doesn't want Shelah, his third and last son, to die like the first two. So Judah looks at this situation, and out of all the people in this equation, he thinks Tamar is the, the bad one. Right? Like he is completely blind. Like the brothers were so wicked that the text says the Lord put them to death. That doesn't happen a whole lot in the Bible, and everybody's wicked. Like he seems to be uniquely blind to this. And so what does he do? He sends, he lies to her and sends her back to her dad's house just to, you know, whatever, wither away until you die. I don't care. It's awful. So that brings us to verse 12, which tells us that Judah's wife dies. That's, of course, sad. And it says that when Judah was comforted, when he was done mourning, which it doesn't sound like it lasted that long. We don't know how long. It says he goes up to his sheep shearers with his old friend Hira. Now, look, from what I've learned from commentators, sheep shearing was, it was an interesting time. Um, it, was, it was sort of a business trip. Like, they, you had to go and do this, right? You had to go shear the sheep. There was some work to do. But it also, it was a time where it was like, it's kind of like just a guy's trip, right? Like, the guys go and shear the sheep and do what guys do, like, whatever that means, right? And that seems to be sort of the flavor, I, I think for our purposes, it would be like um, a business trip to Vegas. Like, yeah, we got some work to do. We got some seminars to sit in during the day. But like, you know, me and my buddies, we're going to go find some trouble to get into at night. And, you know, you go do what, you know, do what you do in Vegas, right? So that seems to be what's going on here as he heads to Timnah. And evidently, you know, what, what happens in Timnah stays in Timnah, right? So Judah heads out on that trip. And as he does, Tamar hears about it, and she realizes, oh, he's, he's lied to me. I'm, he has no intention of taking care of me and giving me the other brother as a husband. So she makes a plan, and she, um, she heads out. She knows what the trip looks like. She knows what goes on when people go shear their sheep. And so she has a plan. She dresses up like a prostitute, and she, you know, she basically works her corner. And here comes Judah on his trip. And uh, as he comes along, he's newly single. We don't know how long. But Judah sees this prostitute who, now granted, he does not recognize her, but he's bound, think about this, he's bound to be able to tell that she's young enough to be his daughter, and what does he do? You know, for whatever reason, maybe he thinks like, well, I kind of deserve this. You know, my wife's died and, you know, this will be some comfort or whatever. He solicits this prostitute. And so they, uh, they talk about the price, how much, and they settle on young goat, which sure seems fair. 
And he says, I don't have it. I'll bring it to you. She says, well, how will I know? I need some sort of, uh, you know, guarantee. And so he says, or actually she says, I'll take the, uh, what is it? Signet cord and staff. For our purposes, you know, it would be something like, how about your driver's license and your wedding ring? Something that, you know, has some value to it, but really it's just more that it, uh, something that you just would want back and something that can clearly identify just you, you know, business card and driver's license, something like that, right? And so uh, they exchange, Judah has sex with her and then they part ways. Uh, He sends the guy back later with the goat, hey, a man of his word, right? Appreciate that. And they don't find her and they say, you know what, all right, never mind. Don't worry about it. All right, so there's Judah. And it's really ugly. This is a guy that doesn't seem to care about following God. He doesn't seem to care about other people. He seems completely blind to sin. Really his own, his children's. And obviously sexually he's, you know, got serious issues. He's a guy that just does what he wants when he wants. Now look, why is all that, why is that important? Because here's the deal. You and I, the Bible's going to tell us, you and I are actually, we're a fair amount like Judah. And so look, if, if you see that, if you, if, if, if as we go through these things, you think like, yeah, I get that. All right, good. I, I'm glad. And the, what I want you to see right now is I want you to be encouraged that God uses, works through, loves, saves people like Judah. Because Judah is a wreck. And I want you to be encouraged. This is what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes. Now, if you don't see yourself in Judah, if you're like, okay, dude, uh, I'm not buying that. Like he is off the rails. That's okay. Because this next point, we're, we're, we're coming for you. <laughs> um, that's what we're going to talk about next. All right, so second point, let's look at Judah's turning point. And again, this is, uh, we could call it God's grace part one. All right, so we see Judah's a, you know, total mess. But things begin to take a turn in verse 24. So Judah gets word that his daughter-in-law is pregnant, that she's been immoral, that she has had sex with someone that's not her husband or a brother, right? And that she's pregnant, And so Judah pronounces judgment, right? Hey, uh, Judah, your, you know, word just came in. Tamar is pregnant, which means, right, something happened. And he says, well, if she's pregnant, bring her out and kill her. That's what that deserves. Having sex with someone that is not your husband or wife, that deserves death. But Tamar has a little surprise for everybody. And she's, so she says, hey, just, just so everybody knows, just so we're clear, I'm pregnant by the person that belongs to these, right? Holds up, you know, signet cord, staff, i.e. driver's license, wedding ring with the inscription in it. And so Judah is just caught. There's no two ways about it. There's no way to spin it, wiggle out from under it. He is just split wide open and something seems to be at least a little different with him 
Because look what he does. He admits, you know what, you're right. He says, not only does he admit that that's the case, but he says, she's more righteous than I am. Uh, then the verse, uh, second half of verse 26 says, and he did not know her again. And I'm not 100% sure what to make, or I mean, I know what it means, but it seems to be getting at, at least he recognizes that that's wrong. What I did is not right. And it seems to mean that he, at least he didn't think like, well, I mean, we've already been together, so like we may as well. Right? He seems to make a turn and say, like, no, that's not okay. And the next time that we see anything about Judah in Genesis uh, is, I believe, in chapter 43. It's going to be a number of years later. What we're going to see from Judah is very different. Because Judah is, what we'll see is that he is basically placing himself, he's substituting himself for one of his brothers that's in a, a bad situation. He's being very selfless. And I want you to see that things begin to change when Judah finally sees himself for who he really is. God is, in fact, that's why I call it God's grace. God is gracious enough to him to show him, to open his eyes to to his own sin. He finally, right, this guy has been blind to sin. Like, I mean, my my sons are fine. Like, she's the problem. Right? Well, I don't have a problem. God finally opens his eyes, and I want you to notice that he does it by using his own words. Right? Judah finally, what opens his eyes is that he sees he doesn't even stand up to his own standard. Did you notice that? He says loud and clear, having sex with someone outside, you know, that's not your husband or wife, that deserves death. And she says, uh, well, hey, guess what? That's you. Right? You get it? He, re- like, he semi-publicly proclaimed this and realizes, oh, that is me. I deserve to die for what I did. And look, it's painful, but it's God's grace. It's, it's a turning point. It seems to be the beginning of something different. All right, so what about you? I said we were coming for you. That's in quotes. I mean that lovingly. Look, because even if you don't, you know, originally you say like, yeah, like I don't identify with Judah. All right, fair enough. Here's what I want to, I want you to think about. Do you even, um, do you stack up to your own, your standard? Like not even, not even perfection. Like let's just not worry about God's standard of perfection. Like, look, that's do you stand up to your own standard of what you think people ought to be? Uh, Francis Schaeffer has an old illustration about imagine wearing a tape recorder around your neck. I'm going to use, right? Imagine your iPhone or your, your smartphone. Imagine that every single time that you say something that is some sort of standard for the world, like when you say like, I cannot stand it when people, whatever. Or when you say, I cannot believe that she, whatever she did. Anything that would indicate how you think people ought to act. 
that your phone clicks on, your recorder clicks on and records your voice saying that. All right, every single time. So if we took your phone and said, all right, look, like how much would you want to listen back to all the things that you've said? And would you, how would you do against your standard? I'm guessing probably not really well. I know I wouldn't. But look, if, if you begin to see that, and look, that, uh, Matthew 7, Jesus says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For the same judgment you pronounce, you will be judged with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Yeah, how do you do with your own standard? Look, I can pretty vividly remember being a somewhat young parent and we were out in public somewhere and I saw this you know, other dad and I don't know, five-year-old, six-year-old and the kid did something that he shouldn't have done and the dad was just on him about it. Just really giving him, you know, fussing out, kind of shaming him. You know, nothing like you're not gonna call, you know, DPS or whatever, but like it just, and I, I can remember just seeing that and just like in that moment, actually thinking like, oh my gosh, dude, that is, it's just gross. Like, what is your problem? He's five. And then like, I don't know, honestly, and then I was like, what? There's no telling how many times I've done something like that. Right? And we, uh, yeah. How do you stack up to your standard? But look, as painful as that is, if, you, if you're beginning to feel that, I, I, wanna say, I hope you let it in. Because that's actually God's grace for us to begin to see like, oh wait, I'm the problem. I've got a huge problem. But there's actually more grace. And let's look at our third and last point quickly. God's grace to Judah and Tamar. So it's time for Tamar to have the baby or have the babies. And there's something weird about the birth order. Um, uh, so that as they're being born, one hand or one baby sticks his hand out sort of over the finish line, so to speak. And the, uh, the, uh, the midwife ties the ribbon around it. Like, all right, this one, you know, this one wins. He's the oldest. And then that hand goes back. And then the other one is born first, which is, right, I don't know, it's quite a mess. So there's this weird thing about the birth order of twins being born in Abraham's line. Now that should, um, if you've been reading through Genesis, that should actually tip you off. That's sort of, that, that should, you know, you should say like, wait, 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 I, I think I know what's going on here. You know, it's like in the movies, like uh, if you, have y'all seen Scream? You know, the movie that talks most about the horror movies and like kind of the tropes of horror movies. You know, there are rules. Like if you have sex, you will die in the movie, right? And if, if you ever, anybody that ever says, I'll be right back, like they will not be right back, right? So now you're watching the movie and somebody says, I'll be right back. You know, like, oh, I know what's going on here. Like they about to die because they're not going to be right back. Right. It, this is one of those. You see twins born in Abraham's line and there's this weird thing about the older and the younger. And you think like, wait, 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 something's going on here. It's an indicator that God is doing something. 
It takes us back to Jacob and Esau, right? The older will serve the younger. And this is the same kind of thing. It's a hint that God is going to show amazing grace to Judah. That the the promises are going to continue through Judah. And they're going to come through the, the younger one. The younger instead of the older. So look, what that... God is continuing his promises to save the world through Judah and Tamar. Like this story is crazy. And God is showing them unbelievable grace to save the world through them. Matthew 1 tells us that Judah fathers Perez and Perez, you know, fathers and on and on and on to King David and then King David on and on and on to Jesus Christ. Just think about that for a second, that that Jesus, the only person that could ever choose his own family, and he picks these people. He picks Judah. And when Jesus comes, he comes to save the world. And I want you to think about who are the kind of people that Jesus says, no, no, come to me, and that respond to him. What kind of people is it? Right, it's, it is, it's the, the sick the poor, tax collectors, right? Think like low-life mafia thugs, sinners, prostitutes. Think about that. Like that was a big demographic of people that were interested in Jesus because they knew Jesus loved them. Prostitutes, the outcast, the tired, the weary. People that were a total mess. And Jesus, he, he did that and he does that because he loves people that are an absolute mess. Not just kind of a mess, not kind of a churchy mess, a mess. That have real crap wrong with them. And what I want you to see is that he comes and He loves them and he saves them by his work. It's his work. He takes their place in life and in death. And he accomplishes the salvation. And it's amazing because of what he's done. Let me end with this illustration really quick. We've gone too long and I'm sorry. Um, I heard this story third hand about a friend of mine has a friend that's a firefighter. He said, we have a ping pong table at our, uh, right outside at our uh, station, and we play all the time. He said, one day, this guy shows up, and really good natured, and he says, hey, y'all seem to play a lot. I love ping pong. I will take on any one of you and beat you, and I will play with my iPhone. And they laugh at him and say, game on. And he whipped every one of them, playing with the back of his iPhone. Now, what do you think? What's the headline? What's the takeaway from that story? Man, that iPhone must be awesome, right? Of course not. The men did not think like, hey, hey, let me see that iPhone because that thing's amazing. No, the whole point of that story is that dude is amazing at ping pong because he can take an iPhone and beat you with it in ping pong. (laughs) and look what I want you to see this story as weird as it is as ugly and awful and right 
This story shows us it's the same idea that God, right? God is amazing. His salvation is amazing because he takes people like us, people like Judah, and he, he restores them and he fixes us and he saves us and he does it by grace. That's the good news. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you take messes like us and you love us and you save us by grace in Christ. We thank you in his name. Amen.